0: Chasing Emmy is brought to you this week by The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, currently streaming on Amazon. It was created by Amy Sherman Palladino, the creator of Gilmore Girls, and centers around the 1950s housewife Midge Maisel, who discovers a talent for stand-up comedy. Consider it marvelous in all categories.
1: Welcome to Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, their friends and fans of the ceremony. I'm Henry Goldblatt, Editor-in-Chief of Entertainment Weekly, and I'm here with two of my friends, Kristen Baldwin, TV critic for EW. Hello. And Lynette Rice, Editor-at-Large for EW.
0: Hello. Hello. I'm back.
1: Welcome back. Lynette's a little hoarse today because her daughter's softball team is doing very well, and she's been cheering them on, correct?
0: Correct. We're in playoffs. We're about to uh, go into Game 3. Wish us luck.
1: Um, What's the name of the team?
0: Harvard Westlake Softball.
1: Excellent. And what position does your daughter play?
0: A second base for all our Emmy listeners.
1: (laughs) I barely know what that is. (laughs) Go team,
0: question mark? Tell
2: her to score a touchdown.
1: At any rate, this is the podcast where we tell you about the Emmy Awards, who we think should be nominated this year, who was nominated in the past. We've got a great show for you. We've got a very special guest in the form of Christine Baranski, who plays Diane Lockhart on The Good Fight, which is the Good Wife spinoff that airs on CBS All Access. It's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. I highly, highly, highly recommend if you haven't checked it out already and I even got Kristen hooked on it this year
2: so hooked and I'm so excited I'm one episode behind I'm gonna watch it tonight
1: and uh, Kristen spoiler alert a little bit I believe it's gonna be one of your top 10 shows of the year so far
2: Oh, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it was a hard list to call down, even though we're only six months into the year, but that was always going to be on it.
1: Nice. I tried to come up with mine, and I only came up with five or six this year. I may need to cheat off of yours.
2: Okay. you can. Yeah,
0: you can borrow any of mine that you want.
1: <laughs> nice. All right, Lynette, why don't you take us through pr- some of the previous winners for lead actress in a drama series?
0: Alrighty. So the 2017 um, nominees, I, I like I want to share those because obviously it'll tee us off for our discussion today uh viola davis for how to get away with murder uh claire foy ding 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 for the crown uh elizabeth moss for the handmaid's tale carrie russell for the americans evan rachel wood for westworld and robin wright for house of cards Kristen, do you remember who won? Uh, Elizabeth Moss. There you go. Yeah, way to be on it. Okay, uh, in 2016, it was, uh, the winner was Tatiana Maslany for Orphan Black. 2015 was uh, Viola Davis for Murder. 2014 was Juliana Margulies for her last season of The Good Wife. Uh, and 2013, Claire Danes for Homeland.
1: That is an intense list of amazing actresses. So, Elizabeth Moss won last year after six failed attempts in this category because she was nominated for Mad Men throughout the years and she never won. And what do you think of her performance in Handmaid's Tale versus Mad Men, Kristen?
2: It's interesting because, you know, obviously, Handmaid's Tale, she is the lead. Like, it is her story, it is Offred's story. Um, and she was fantastic in Mad Men and Top of the Lake, both of which she was nominated for. But, you know, with Top of the Lake, that was a tiny little uh, Sundance TV miniseries and, you know, wasn't that high profile. But with Mad Men, she was always, much like Peggy herself, she was playing second fiddle to Mr. Don Draper. I'm glad that she got it for Handmaid's Tale, and I didn't feel in any way like it was kind of a make good, you know, for her not getting it for Mad Men.
1: Uh, sidebar, are you all watching Handmaid's Tale this season?
2: Oh, yeah, it's so brutal. It's I mean, the first nine minutes alone of the second season are just like, you need to take a Xanax and, and have a massage afterwards. But um, I, I think it doesn't feel to me gratuitous, at least yet. Maybe as we head toward the end of the season, it will get even worse.
1: I feel like the show's creators decided, how can we make it even more torturous and difficult to watch and have done that? Uh, And Kristen, you're the first one to call out torture porn, i.e. on Criminal Minds.
2: Criminal Minds loves to lock a lady in a dog cage or any of that good stuff. But um, with Handmaid's Tale, you know, the whole subject matter and the fact that now she's dealing with being pregnant and the thought of losing the baby to this this, you know, oppressive culture that just it's more psychological torture than anything else.
1: Do you think that Elizabeth Moss is eventually going to reach Angela Lansbury's record of 12 nominations in this category?
0: Oh, heck no! No, no, because uh, I think there's some fatigue has kind of come with this show, too. I mean, I mean, even when the first season. It was so. This is a show you can't binge like in one weekend, like where you're eating popcorn because it's just too freaking heavy. And I had that same problem with the first season. I had to keep on coming back to it. So I can't see folks staying with this because, I mean, if you're going to make this show last, you have to stay. In the darkness, but how long can people, you know, tolerate the darkness of this?
1: Whereas, as opposed to Murder, She Wrote, they tolerated the lightness for 12 seasons.
0: Yeah, she was like a little old lady solving crimes right
2: in her books. Like who, you know, that's, that's something that you can just, you can get on board with and there's no end to that appeal.
1: You know, we call Angela Lansbury a little old lady solving crimes in Murder, She Wrote, but I have a feeling that when she filmed that, she was probably around our age.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's like Estelle Getty playing much older than she did on Golden Girls. Um, So my apologies to Angela Lansbury, who at the time was probably not a little old lady. Love a current little old lady.
1: (laughs) She was probably 35 years old at the time, but she's looked the same ever since she was 20. All right, Lynette, we talk a lot about on this podcast about how the broadcast networks are faring in these various categories. And this is one where they've actually had a little more success than others. Do You want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, so uh, funny you bring up Angela. Did you, I don't know if you mentioned, 12 nominations in this category, which is pretty legit. Uh, but that also speaks to her, the, her lack of competition all those years. She really wanted to compete with two other networks. And so would she, I mean, that's a good question now. Would she get them any today? Probably not. Um, uh, eight nominations apiece. Sharon Glass for playing Chris Cagney and for The Trials of Rosie O'Neill. That one I don't remember.
1: I remember that it was a one or two season thing.
0: Uh, Okay. Um, Mariska Hargitay uh, for playing Olivia. She got another eight noms. Uh, Michael Learned. uh, uh, She played Olivia Walton on the show The Waltons. Uh, Another eight nominations. And then eight nominations for the wonderful Juliana Margulies for playing Alicia. She only won once for playing Alicia. And then playing uh, Carol Hathaway on ER. She won for that. Uh, and then most wins in this category four apiece to Tyne Daly, who played Mary Beth Lacey, that was on Cagney and Lacey. And again, four wins for Michael Learned uh, for playing Olivia on The Waltons.
1: Was The Waltons really that good of a
0: show? Absolutely. Oh, I loved The Waltons. Did you love The Waltons, Kristen?
2: No. And Henry, please, let's change the subject before she sings the
1: theme song again. It wouldn't be a Chasing Emmy podcast if we didn't bring up the Waltons. Or Andy Griffith. Lynette, you also have some snubs that still hurt in this category. Take us through some folks who didn't win.
0: There's a ton. To me, I found a ton that I want to talk about that could spawn some great discussion between the three of us. Okay, so Lauren Graham never got so much of his, as a nomination in Gilmore Girls, but she was nominated for the Golden Globes and the SAGs for that role. I mean, do you feel like, that, I mean, that was kind of a slight, don't you think?
1: I think it's a complete slight. I think she was terrific in that show, and I don't know why Emmy Award winner is not the adjective we use before her name.
0: Now, another one I is interesting is uh, Calista Flockhart. She was nominated three times for Allie McBeal, but in the comedy category. Of course, she never won. So I have to wonder if they put that show uh, in the drama category, would she have won? This is when the, the trend started of putting dramedies, hour-long dramedies, uh, into the comedy category, so I think that started the, the the scandal of it. Yeah,
1: I believe that sh- that was the first show, hour long show, that was um, placed in the comedy category.
0: Right. Right. Uh, We already mentioned Juliana. She only won um, one Emmy for ER, and then she was, and then she was, this was interesting. So she won the Emmy for ER in the supporting actress category, but then she moved to the outstanding actress category and never won there, which I thought was kind of weird. Mariska has only won once for SVU, and considering that show has been on 100 years, it feels like she should have won won at least once more. I feel like. And then finally, Mark Helgenberger got two noms for CSI. She never won, but she did take home one for China Beach.
1: Christian, how do you feel about the Mark Helgenberger slight?
0: I
2: mean, look, I appreciate Mark's work on CSI, but I also have to say I feel like those shows aren't really designed to show a ton of acting range it's more about the let's take the camera inside the bullet wound and see what happens i mean look people love that show but i don't know that it's so much for the breadth of thespian uh achievement that's being displayed
1: I believe that's the first time the word thespian and CSI have been used in the same sentence.
0: Let's move on.
1: All right, I've got a quiz for you guys. I got a couple questions. True or false, Viola Davis is the only African-American woman to win in this category. It's true. Yes, can you believe that?
2: No, but yes, I can.
1: Okay, second question. Which of these women were nominated for Best Lead Actress in a Drama Series? Kate Jackson, Linda Gray, Roma Downey, and Laura Layton.
2: Wait, first, I need to know, Is this a trick question again, like last time when you said they were all nominated?
0: I know, because I'm feeling... Although Laura Layton, I feel like kind of threw things off. Although I can't remember if she did get something from Melrose Place. Does that ring a bell? I feel like I would have a tattoo of that moment if that had happened, just because, like... Yeah, I don't... I I, I can't feel like... I don't feel like Henry would trick us again two weeks in a row. I'm going to say... Roma Downey. I'm going to say Linda Gray.
1: The following women were nominated in the Best Actress Drama category. Kate Jackson, Linda Gray, and Roma Downey, but not Laura Layton.
0: So he kind of did it again. I don't feel like we should trust him anymore with this.
1: (laughs) I know. Next week, it'll be two out of four. What do you think about Emmy nominee Kate Jackson for Charlie's Angels?
0: Oh, remember, she was always considered the thespian, you're using Kristen's words, of that group. So I totally see that. They didn't take anybody else seriously in that trio except her, as if she dealt with the heavy stuff of that show.
2: She was the quote unquote smart one, right? So, and the the one the least pretty, which I'm making air quotes, which you can't see, which is ridiculous because she's obviously gorgeous. So, um, yeah, I feel like anytime an Aaron, any time an Aaron Spelling show gets any recognition of any kind, I'm down with it.
1: I agree with you completely. And what was interesting, both Linda Gray was nominated for Dallas, as was Barbara Belgeddes, who played Miss Ellie.
2: Oh, Miss Ellie.
1: Bless her heart.
2: Bless her. And Linda Gray, I mean, come on.
1: All right. I wanted to also talk to you about some random nominations that I came across for like one and done series. Kathy Bates for Harry's Law.
0: Makes sense. She's one of those Emmy favorites.
1: Gina Davis for Commander-in-Chief.
0: Yeah, this was actually
2: at a time right when, you know, movie stars, quote unquote, weren't so frequently doing TV. So maybe the Academy was just so thrilled they're trying to lure in more movie stars. So they're like, here, we'll give you a nomination.
1: Speaking of, Holly Hunter for Saving Grace, which ran a couple seasons.
2: Same rule applies.
1: Mini Driver for The Riches.
2: First of all, I had to look the show up and it was only like a few years ago. Second of all, like what?
0: I just, that's my argument. What? I, I went on the set for that. I remember that. We wrote something about it.
1: Tell everyone what the show was about or do you need me to?
0: They were, um, what was, who's, her play, husband was played by? Eddie Izzard. Yes. And they were, um, they were like a Bonnie and Clyde, but didn't they, they ripped people off.
1: They were grifters and like <laughs> they pretended to be in this, live in this wealthy community and they were really like grifters and thieves. It was like just at the start when FX was trying to do prestige dramas and they were trying to pass that one off.
0: It only lasted two seasons, right?
1: Amber Tamblyn for Joan of Arcadia.
0: I feel like this was deserved. Kristen? Yeah, I, I
2: can see it. I mean, I feel like that, you know, that was a drama that had some Jesus-y elements. And she was, you know, a young actress. And she's always been quite good. So I'm down with it.
1: And then Kate Nelligan for a show called Road to Avalani, which I had never heard of. And I had to look up. It was some Canadian series. I feel like that shouldn't count. Up next, we're going to be talking about who we think should be nominated for lead actress in a drama series this year. So stay tuned.
0: This episode of Chasing Emmy is being brought to you by The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, currently streaming on Amazon. It's from Amy Sherman Palladino, and it's about a 1950s housewife who discovers a talent for stand-up comedy. The New York Times calls Maisel a superhero story, only this time the protagonist's object is not to save the world, but to find a place in it, to stand up for herself by doing stand-up for herself. Consider it marvelous in all categories, including Outstanding Comedy Series.
1: Welcome back to Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, their friends, and fans of the ceremony. I'm Henry. I'm here with Lynette and Kristen. So we're talking about the lead actress in a drama series category, and we're going to go around the table and talk about who we think should be nominated this year. And you know what? I'm going to do the honors and start today. I'm going to nominate our very special guest we have later on the show, Christine Baranski, for The Good Fight. And I think she deserves not only to be nominated, but to win. I think she's doing the finest work on TV right now. And I'm standing by that
0: i completely agree i i just sure hope the word is out there enough to get her that nomination because at this stage as we've talked before it's a popularity contest
1: speaking of and i'm not supposed to know if i'm supposed to say this or not but i'm gonna say it anyway i got a preview of mamma mia and the new mamma mia film and christine baranski is a joy the wig work is terrific the bell bottoms are amazing it's everything you want out of baranski
0: well, she's on, I mean, I don't know if you watch this, but she's also on The Big Bang Theory, and she plays Leonard's mother, and she is superb.
1: Superb. Why must you always <laughs> bring it back to The Big Bang Theory or The Waltons? Why?
0: She is so good. So good.
1: All right, Lynette, who is your pick?
0: Uh, I want to go with Mandy Moore. Uh, I, I felt like she was uh, tragically overlooked last year, and I think she deserves This was a particularly heavy season because of, you know, her husband's death. I think she did some great work. And uh, I I would love to see, you know, a return of broadcast network actresses to this category.
1: I completely agree with you. I think she does exquisite work on the show. And she's kind of a revelation. Like, would you have... Three years ago, would you have said Mandy Moore, best actress in a drama?
0: No, she was one of those pilot killers. You know, she did so many.
1: Yeah, tell everyone what a pilot killer is.
0: Pilot killer is that you do a pilot and it doesn't get picked up. And she was, for many years there, she was one that was cast because she was considered a great get, a good actress to have in the pilot, but then her pilots never got picked up. So she went through a series of them. And I remember talking to her right when this got picked up. It's and I it's very hard to, you know, call somebody a pilot killer to their face. But you know, to try to be diplomatic to her in person and she's very I mean, she's candid about it. She says, Yeah, man, I've done a lot of losers. But obviously she's got a winner now.
1: Kristen, how about you? Who's your first round pick?
0: All right, I'm gonna
2: go with Evan Rachel Wood from Westworld. Uh you know, she's really at the front and center even more so in season two as Dolores kind of leads this uh, robot revolution and she still has vestiges of all the different personalities that Dolores has had programmed in her so she's switching you know sort of personas sometimes she'll play three different characters in one scene it's it's you know Really incredible work, so I think she'll get nominated.
1: So you're calling her the Tatiana Maslani of this year.
2: Exactly. With fewer wigs.
1: <laughs> Deep Orphan Black reference. All right, my turn, my second round pick. I don't think you all are going to agree, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I think Viola Davis will and should be nominated for How to Get Away with Murder. The show, how do I say this diplomatically, isn't as amazing as it once was, but she can act her way out of anything. And the amount of emotion and pathos she puts into that character and the way she infuses it with life is really special and unique on TV. And I'd like to see her get nominated.
0: All right, I'm next. And I'm going to go with Claire Foy of The Crown. For all the reasons that I've said in previous uh, podcasts, uh, the second season is sublime, and she's just marvelous in this role. This will be her last season, too. I, I think she deserves the nomination. I believe she will get it. All right. And for me, my second pick is Elizabeth
2: Moss from The Handmaid's Tale. As bleak and uh, harrowing as the uh, show is to watch, she's still excellent. And we've seen, you know, we've gotten to see June in a variety of new situations this season. And her range is, you know, as an actress is great. And I think Emmy voters still love this show.
1: Well, that leaves a lot of people on the table. For example, we haven't talked about Kerry Russell, who would be getting one for the final season of Americans. Angela Bassett, who is an award perennial for nine one one. So the six that we've got are Elizabeth Moss, Mandy Moore, Evan Rachel Wood, Claire Foy, Christine Baranski, and Viola Davis.
0: I have to tell you, I th- I feel a little skeptical about Viola. Just because of the the season, and um, Angela Bassett could take her place. Also, Maggie Gyllenhaal for the Deuce, because that was a fantastic show.
1: Kristen, what do you think of this sex?
0: You know, I do think
2: there is a chance that Viola will get bumped out for Angela simply because nine one one is a hotter show this season and uh you know Viola has been recognized by the academy and I feel like people do love the voters do love Angela Bassett and they might feel that it's a bit uh, more of a current nomination on the other hand they do like to they have their favorites and Viola is one of them so it could it's a toss up
1: so do you think Kerry Russell's going to be snubbed
2: I think maybe they'll go for seven just I think the Americans will get sort of a drama nom just to sort of as a farewell uh, nomination and that they may feel like that's enough to to sort of honor the show. But maybe they'll
0: go with seven. They sometimes do. If they don't go for seven, they just do six. I feel like the person who's most in danger is Christine Baranski simply because not enough people have watched that show, not because she's any less deserving. I think, unfortunately, that show suffers from lack of awareness.
1: So we're going to change the name of this podcast to The Good Fight.
0: I mean, it's really bad. I mean, we're so for it. But, I mean, I feel like there's more noise This year, I mean, you go all over L.A. and New York. In New York City, there's posters everywhere. That's where all the voters are. But I don't know. I feel like she's the one that's in danger. All
1: right, Kristen, who's your let me plead for?
2: I'm going to go with an actress uh, who is submitting in this category even though she maybe would have a better chance in supporting uh her name is Jodie Comer uh she's the co-star of Killing Eve she is uh she plays Villanelle also known as Oksana and she is sort of this delightfully charming sociopath killer uh who you know she is both terrifying but funny and charismatic and uh the role requires you know a really sort of subtle uh, you know she's very she's just very it's a it could be a showy role where somebody would chew the scenery but she does such an understated job And is so deadpan and funny and uh, also terrifying. I would love for her to get a nomination, but she's going to be up against the star of the show, Sandra Oh.
1: Speaking of, that is my let me plead for. So this podcast is changing lives right and left because, Kristen, you have been telling me to watch Killing Eve forever. Our colleague Mark Snedeker was saying the same thing, and I binged it last weekend, and I am not disappointed. It was so terrific. I highly recommend it. You can get it on BBC America On Demand. I'm going to plead for Sandra O, oh, who is the lead of the show. And, you know, if you knew her from Grey's Anatomy, you'd know her as a great actress or Sideways or what have you. But sh- she's showing a different side here. She's a dogged investigator who's tracking Villanelle. And the cat and mouse play between them is just terrific. She's outstanding.
0: All right. So I know in our promo for this podcast that I promised that I would only advocate for one person uh from outlander but i think i'm going to go on too because i think i already advocated in a previous one uh i'm going to say katrina Balfi for this category you know, so much is made of the romance at the heart of the show, but the saga from Diana Gabaldon is about Claire, this a time-traveling nurse. That means Katrina essentially carries the show as a feminist with backbone who's a hothead in the face of injustice in one moment and just a straight-up hottie in the next. Most of the time, she's the smartest person in the room. Katrina is superb in this role, and it's time Emmy sits up <clears throat> and pays attention and not assume that Outlander is just a Small screen romance with lots of bodice ripping.
1: Lynette just schooled us. All right, of the three that we just named, who do you think is most likely to would be most likely to squeak in?
2: I think your pick, Henry. I think Sandra Oh is somebody that the Academy knows and recognizes. She's she's Eve in Killing Eve. Um, and I think they would be more likely to recognize her. I still think Outlander suffers a little bit from Buffy syndrome. I know it's not genre, but it's sci-fi time travel romance. It's, it, it's the kind of
0: show that the Academy has in the past not really taken too seriously. I feel like, again, because it so much is about awareness of what gets out there, I feel like Killing Eve is still very much on the lowdown. I feel like Outlander is becoming more well-known. I mean, after all, we're about to start the fourth season. So I feel better about Katrina. I mean, I, I, I feel better about her. She generally has, if there's anyone's going to get a nomination from the show, it's been her, uh, and she's was, she's been noticed from the Globes. Um, I think Emmy notices her.
1: All right, I'm going to go back to Killing Eve for one second and just say that it has been renewed for a second season, so you don't have to feel badly binging now and think that there's no end to it. You will get another season of it, so that's my plug for the week. All right, up next, we've got Lynette's conversation with Christine Baranski, uh, who we are all excited to see nominated in the Best Actress Drama category, so stay tuned.
0: Welcome back to Chasing Emmy. Christine Baranski originated the role of Diane Lockhart on The Good Wife on CBS, and lucky for us, she reprised it for the CBS All Access spinoff called The Good Fight. She's here with me now. Christine, thank you so much for joining me. You just learned today about the renewal, or we learned today about the renewal. Where and how did you hear about it?
3: Let's see. I was, where was I? I was. Somewhere, today's my birthday, so it's all a bit of a blur. I think I was probably in my living room opening up roses or orchids or something splendid, and, um, and I got a little text message saying happy birthday, and the show's renewed. So how cool is that?
0: That's very cool, though I'm disappointed to hear you're not on a beach at Bora Bora for your birthday.
3: Well, it's very funny because this is my birthday, and I have nothing but press. And tonight I have to what I call slough and gloss and sit on a panel and do. But I love promoting this show. It's a happy day in terms of the world hearing that we've been uh, renewed for a third season. I happen to think it was the best season I've ever experienced with these writers and with my fellow actors. I've never enjoyed it more. So it's a celebration, and then afterwards, some of the gals are taking me out to dinner, so I'll be closing some joint tonight. No worry.
0: <laughs> it has been such an exhilarating season. I mean, just when you think it's going to be a partisan episode, then boom, the Democrats get their hands slapped too. How, uh, what do you think? They
3: do. Everybody gets dirty, don't they? Everybody everybody is passionate. Everybody has a point of view. Everybody can't help but get Get dirty in the process, and I think more than I, I always felt that the Kings really wrote to what was going on in in the culture very well, almost crystal ball in their sense of where the culture was going. But this season, I just think they uh, were very brave rather than just say, well, everybody's got Trump fatigue and it will be redundant. They just went head on into it, into the zeitgeist and had the characters living in this strange reality or non-reality that we're all living through, particularly their leading lady who, being a liberal feminist, who thought she would living through the first female president, has her world turned upside down. Last season, she lost all her money and had to go back to work. Plus, seems the glass ceiling did not, in fact, smash wide open. And um, season two has her really weirded out by what's going on. And rather than just have her sitting in front of a television set feeling weird about Donald Trump, they start first episode of the season with her mouth hanging open and the same expression she had when Trump was inaugurated, except this time she's watching Howard Lyman appear in robes as a judge. And she thinks that's got to be the height of absurdity. She finds out a lawyer has been run down and she makes her way to the funeral and sees this strange Ingmar Bergmanesque kind of figure of some strange death-like creature floating around the cemetery, and her world is very. She she feels very strange about the world. Uh, people are dying. People are being killed. We have a president who seems, you know, every day to be derailing the country in some way. And and she was always Diane was was the grown-up in the room. She was the sane one. She was the one who could shift her weight and somehow get everybody in line and withstand a million crises and still reemerge with most of her values or her belief system in place. And so it's been really exciting to play this season, to play this character having a a real existential crisis.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you about that, because obviously she was introduced to microdosing, which is, for those who don't no, it's it's a form of drug use, and we ex- subsequently saw a change in her behavior, and she's clearly hallucinating. Now, is that a reaction to the drug, or is she going crazy? Because we don't see her doing the drugs, although she we did see her refill that little bottle. No, what
3: I love is that uh, they, it, the the Kings don't. Once you see her put it on her tongue. Once you see her reach into her medicine cabinet, once you see her in an elevator realizing that she's out of it. Another time you see her back sussing out the bartender who gave her some because she's having another meltdown because her husband may have reopened a relationship with this ballistics lady and she needs a hit. But you, what I love is that the writers didn't indicate when she was on it or not on it and not really what what were her reasons for going on it Uh, a lot of it and a lot of the weird stuff that you see her seeing could very well be real the the people with the trump masks on dancing and across from her building like she sees them and she's captivated and she laughs about it uh, it's very interesting. Uh, as I said, the Kings have a crystal ball because this, in this week's New York magazine, which I just read the article, it's about microdosing and how people, intelligent professionals having a little difficulty coping with the world, baby boomers, are less inclined to do hard drugs, cocaine or alcohol. Uh, they're not drinking as much, but they're doing these small doses things and what Diane did were were the mushrooms the psilocybin and it doesn't take you out of it doesn't dull your senses like alcohol it doesn't make you speed but it makes you hyper clear it 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 allows you to live in the present in the moment and so i think when what you see often with Diane's behavior and mind you the the effect of the drug can last for for hours, the actual after effect can last for days, the way you feel. And what we see in Diane is she's someone who's not afraid suddenly to express her anger. She'll, she, uh, my, One of my favorite scenes was walking barefoot. We've never seen Diane not in high heels. She walks barefoot into Liz Reddick's office, Audra McDonald's character, and says, fuck you. Now, that's so not Diane, barefoot and swearing. That could be an after effect of the psilocybin. She's she's opened up inside. She decides to just say what she feels, which is why in that impeachment episode when she finally says, you know, I'm tired of being the grown-up in the room. I'm tired of seeing them take it all away from us. If if they go low, we need to go lower. And very unusual to hear that from a woman who always, she held her father in high esteem and, and her value system was always something that was just her sine qua non, was her, her belief in, in the rule of law and her belief in her value system. So to see her unhinged this season has been really interesting. But what I love is that they don't, they never take it to such an extreme that you wonder, well, wait a minute, no, I mean, you know, is she going to be a junkie? I mean, the really attractive, very intelligent bartender who was very anti-Trump and kind of out in the streets and all. He was captivating, and because Diane was kind of opened up and a little estranged from her husband, she has a one-night stand, very unlike Diane as well.
0: But you could see it happening. I could see it happening. Well, she's still... Pretty damn likable, even if she's on drugs. She's very zen about everything. Has it been a challenge finding this possibly drug-induced Diane? No, not at all, because I have followed. Funny, another reporter asked me
3: about this, and I said, Actually, no, I've lived very close to Diane all year because they wrote her as someone rather addicted to cable news and going a little crazy from watching cable news. And I have to admit, I was never a morning news watcher. I don't like having a TV on in general. I only have a small television in my bedroom. There's none in my living room. And I don't I, I don't like the noise of television. It's funny hearing that from a television actress. But every morning I've put on Morning Joe for months since since he was elected, since since before he was elected. I find the news breathtaking and horrifying, but I can't turn it off because... I feel like I need to live through this moment in history for better or worse, wherever it's going to take us. It's such a singular moment in our history. And someday we'll look back on it as we did with Watergate and go and think, whoa, my God, look what the country went through. And I think that's what Diane is doing. And you can get hooked by the news. I mean, people are addicted to cable news now until they look down at their phone to see what's the breaking story and, God knows, every day it's something, every, I mean, I just put my, I just, um, between this interview and the last, I just went on the news on my phone, and it seems Ty Cobb, the president's lawyer, has quit. He hadn't quit this morning. No, I didn't see that. That, that. That wasn't on the morning news. He just quit. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what lawyer wants to handle this guy? I'm sorry. But who wants to handle them? They're jumping like rats off a ship. And I love it. What they're saying is he he was wanting to retire anyway.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's such crap.
3: Anyway, when you say that about Diane, I can certainly see any person who's an intelligent, liberal woman going a little crazy trying to live right now. We went well, with the, the Me Too movement and all these guys and, and discovering how j- just the depth of their depraved behavior and how many years we've tolerated it. Plus this president who seems to be getting away with everything, doesn't abide by the rule of law, doesn't believe in the judiciary or in the FBI or systems of government. It's a time when I think people in general, but it's certainly a liberal professional woman of a certain age like diane would be feeling seriously unhinged and need a little help from her friends
0: now the finale is not streaming until may 20th can you tease it a little will we see diane address the microdosing will we see any kind of resolution to that
3: yes you do you you you, it, it happens before this the finale she takes up martial arts uh when the when the When the Kings pitched me the idea of Diane's fall and her unhingement, I said, "Great, I've played this character for eight years. It's time to like cut her loose and let something really rock her world. Last year, it was her losing all her money, which is pretty big. But season two is more an existential crisis. She's actually just questioning. The world she lives in and her ability to live in that world sanely. And when they pitched it, they said maybe eventually she takes up Eastern religion or something. And I said, well, Eastern religion's great, except it doesn't make for good drama because watching somebody meditate isn't going to be enthralling to an audience. And I said, what about martial arts? My, I have a daughter who's a brown belt in kung fu, and I've seen how it's changed her life, and it's very empowering for women. In fact, my daughter teaches it at UCLA sometimes. I think martial arts. So I take up Aikido. You'll see me flipping some guys. <laughs> you are going to see me with swords and flipping them. And yep, even then she's having difficulty because by the, the final the final episode, we'll, we'll move us into season three. And that's it's, it's kind of wonderful what they've done. I mean, it's actually really dramatic. But So I feel confident that with everything they've done with Diane, there are going to be consequences to her behavior that will lead into season three.
0: Well, I'm going to wrap it there. Congratulations so much on the pickup and my fingers are crossed going into MD season. We can't think of anyone who is more deserving. We, just, we really enjoy the show here at EW. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, thank you so much. Bye-bye, darling. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
1: That's going to do it for another episode of Chasing Emmy. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like us, please leave feedback in the iTunes store, your local neighborhood podcast store, and let us know that we're doing a good job. Or if you don't like us, you can tell us that too and tell us how we can improve. Um, And tell your friends about the podcast too. We're eager to get the word out.
0: Chasing Emmy was sponsored this week by The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, currently streaming on Amazon. It's from Amy Sherman Palladino and was the winner of two Golden Globes, including Best Television Series Musical. Consider it marvelous in all categories.